Let's open our Bibles to the book of Lamentations, the third chapter. We uh, lacked just a verse or two in the second chapter, but we gave you overall uh, view of some of these things as far as the last part of each chapter is concerned, or at least some portion of the, each chapter, and pointed out a redeeming feature. And so that will take care of the uh, last part of the second chapter. And that redeeming feature happens to be a plea for God's compassionate consideration in the last few verses. And we got down to verse eight, 17, picked up verse 18. You can read verses 18 through 22, and you'll see that uh, plea for God's compassionate consideration. But let me just give for the benefit of those who were not here uh, in our first lesson of this, uh, kind of a quick overview of the structure of this book of Jeremiah, I mean, of Lamentations of Jeremiah. I'm looking at Jeremiah here, the name, but it's the Lamentations of Jeremiah. And there are five chapters here. And we pointed out in our introductory that the first chapter consists of 22 verses. And each verse having to do with like alphabet, right through the Hebrew alphabet, because there are 22 verses in the Hebrew alphabet. The second chapter follows the same structure. 22 verses, if you'll look at your Bibles. And it follows A, B, C through. We'll just use the English to point it out. Right on through the 22 verses. Uh, and of course, it's in the Hebrew alphabet. And then the third chapter, if you'll notice, we have 66 verses. But they're shorter than the ones in the first and second chapter. But instead of following like... Alf, Beth, first, second verse. It's like Alf, 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 Beth, Beth, Beth. So it's a triplicate of the alphabet as you go through the Hebrew alphabet in these 66 verses. So in our language, it would be like A, 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 and B, 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 on the, and right on down through the 66 verses. Verse 1 would be A, 2 would be A, 3 would be A. I'm talking about the third chapter now in particular. Uh, and then the fourth verse would be B, the fifth verse would be B, the sixth verse B, or Alf and Beth, as far as the Hebrew alphabet is concerned. I just wanted to make it as clear as possible. Now then, the uh, fourth chapter takes on the same structure as the first and second chapter, which is that you'll see that they're longer verses, and of course, there are 22 verses in the fourth chapter. Now then, the fifth chapter also has 22 verses, but it, has, it does not follow any particular order as far as the Hebrew alphabet is concerned that we can discern. Now, if you have any more questions about the structure of this uh, book of Jer uh, Lamentations of Jeremiah, uh, it does form an acrostic. An acrostic is a poem or series of lines in which certain letters, usually the first, in each line, form a, a name or a motto or a message when read in sequence. And that's the sequence that we have given you. And by the way, the whole of the 119th Psalm is uh, given in this way. Except in the 119th Psalm, you have octaves of each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Like the first eight verses, you'll have alf. The second eight verses, 8 through 16, you'll have uh, beth. And so on. And it's marked in your 119th Psalm so that you have no problem discerning that. But it's not marked here in the book of Lamentations. So we just thought we'd give you that overview. Now I'd like to get to the third chapter, uh, basically. We might spend this lesson and possibly one more 
on the Lamentations of Jeremiah. But uh, I want to give you, first of all, let me give you kind of a division of it. Then we'll come back and it, I believe it's so important in this third chapter that we take up a verse-by-verse look at it. But let me give you an overall view of this third chapter. First of all, the prophet voices the sorrow and confession uh, uh, confession uh, of the remnant. And this covers the whole of this third chapter. That would be the title for this third chapter of the book of Lamentations. Now then, the first section of it, verses 1 through 18, you find the judgment of God. Verses 19 through 39, you have the mercies of the Lord. Verses 40 and 42 through 42, you have the call for a spiritual renewal. And verses 43 through 51, you have the sorrow of Jeremiah over Jerusalem. And verses 52 through the rest of it, 66, you have the prophet's prayer for deliverance from his foes. Now then, I realize that you can't, you don't have time to copy all of this down, but probably it will give you some idea. The judgment of God in the first section, the mercies of God in the second, call for spiritual renewal, the third section of it, the sorrow of Jeremiah in the fourth division of it, and the prophet's prayer for deliverance. So that would give you an idea of what we find in this uh, book of Lamentations. Now then, in this third chapter. Uh, we said earlier that these are very short stanzas. Uh, the reason we find they're so short and that they're like Alf, 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 first, second, third verse, Beth, 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 fourth, fifth, and sixth verse, following the uh, form, the poetic form of the Hebrew alphabet here. Uh, the reason we have this in short stanzas is because it's also of interest. Let me mention this. It's also of interest to notice that this third chapter of 66 verses have only one-third as many measures. Remember the first chapter had long verses? So this one has only one-third as many measures, poetic measures, thus making the same number of measures, whether you have the 26 verses or the 66 verses. In other words, this third chapter is just equal to the first and second chapter. But there are shorter measures. There are shorter verses here. In other words, say you put the first three verses in one of the third chapter into one verse. You would end up with 22, wouldn't you? And it would make it more lengthy because you'd have the three verses in the third chapter equal to a verse, one verse, in the first and second chapter. Notice, just glance at it, for, for instance. Look at the... Very first uh, chapter and the very first verse. See how long that is? The first chapter and the first verse. It would be very simple. You see how long, how many measures is in that? Okay. Now then, look at the first three verses. And of course, you'll have a little white space because it is separation of verses. But just put your finger over the first three verses of the third chapter. And you see, you'd have almost the same equal thing, the same way with the second and the fourth. Okay, I think that's enough to give you an idea of the structure of the, the book. Let's come back to Jeremiah, uh, Lamentations of Jeremiah, chapter 3. 
verse 1. We want to try to give you some comments on these verses as we go along. This uh, third chapter is very rich. In fact, I think the third chapter is the peak of the whole book of Jeremiah, of Lamentations of Jeremiah. I keep saying Jeremiah because it says the Lamentations of Jeremiah. So, uh, if you'll notice, uh, these verses in particular have a great deal of meaning. So verse 1 says, I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Jeremiah indeed suffered from uh, his fellow countrymen, and he suffered affliction along with the people. He suffered from them and for them as well. Remember, Jeremiah is spoken of in the Bible as uh, the weeping prophet. I believe it's chapter 9, verse 1, where he says, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes were a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of of thy people. So, he he is a weeping prophet. So, in verse 1, he says, I I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Jeremiah suffered like very few other prophets. He was cast in a dungeon. He was uh, ridiculed. He was uh, opposed. He was spoken of as a false prophet when he was the true prophet. And he had to show that uh, what he said would come to pass, whereas the others were prophesying lies because it sounded good to the ears of the people. Just because it sounds good doesn't make it good. It's got to be the truth of God for what's right. And uh, Jeremiah spoke the truth. The other prophets spoke the dreams and their visions and what they hoped would happen. And God said, it's not going to happen that way. It's going to happen like Jeremiah said. You're going into captivity. You're going to have problems and trials. But they didn't want to believe that because it was kind of harsh. They wanted to believe that soft-spoken stuff, you know. Kind of like a prophet earlier. uh, One of the kings says, well, you know this Micaiah says, he doesn't speak anything but evil concerning me. He said, I don't want to hear that, that guy. But yet he was, they had this king that I'm speaking about had to turn to, to Micaiah for instruction, but he didn't like it anyway because he knew it wasn't going to be pleasing to his own ears. All right, here, verse 2. It says, He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Darkness may symbolize the absence of God. You know, we find darkness upon the face of the deep when the, in the book of Genesis at the beginning, in the chaotic condition. Well, here, he has led me and brought me into darkness. Now, only God is to, able to bring light into that darkness. And here, this darkness may symbolize the absence of God. Because when God is absent, everything is dark, isn't it? We find here not only... Darkness as far as Jeremiah was concerned, but as far as Israel is concerned as well. Verse uh, 3 says, Surely against me is he turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. God's hand was withdrawn. He turneth his hand against me all the day. Protection was removed. When you find God's hand, hand is withdrawn, you're left to your own. And God's protection is not there and available. I don't want God's hand to be withdrawn as far as I'm concerned, as far as the church is concerned, as far as our needs are concerned. But that's what was true here. Surely against me is he turned, he turned, turneth his hand against me all the day. 
You know, the Bible teaches that we need His mercies day by day. On down in verse uh, 22 and 23, it says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fall not, fail not. Then it says in verse 23, They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I'd rather have that to be true, hadn't you? Then verse 3, His hand turned against me all the day. We need His mercies renewed all the day. Look at verse 4. My flesh and my skin hath He made old. He hath broken my bones. Here we see the judgment of God. My flesh and my skin hath He made old. He hath broken my bones. It's a terrible thing for God's judgment to fall upon anyone. And this is the case here. We think we're pretty self-sustained and self-sufficient and independent. But just let God's hand fall upon us in chastisement. And we realize that we are not near so strong, near so independent. You know, men have a tendency when you get a little bit comfortable physically or financially or economically, to, to get this idea that, you know, I can get along pretty good now. And we kind of leave God out of the picture. That's a sad situation to get into. The more prosperity that comes our way, sometimes the more people forget their need for God. And we need to realize, if God has blessed you, be very careful that you don't let it go to your head. Just say, God, I still need you. I still need you. We sing a song, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. And we need God's protection. We need His presence. And uh, let's not get too, uh, I like to use, uh, use this word sometimes because I see some people that way, too cocky, too proud, standing up thinking we, we got it made, you know. We don't have anything made. God spoke to concerning, back in the book of Deuteronomy, and He says, you know, you'll go into the land and you'll say, mine own power and mine own strength has gotten me this wealth. God turns around and He says, who gave you power to get wealth? Who gave you the strength or the breath? I remember one time, Dr. Conley, down the seminary, Arlington Baptist College, the Bible Baptist Seminary at that time, in Fort Worth, when I was attending. They were way behind. The school was struggling financially. They were way behind on paying the professors, and they were living on sometimes the three months ago salary, which they hadn't gotten for two or three months, and sometimes way behind on their salaries. And his wife said, told him one day, and he was telling the class, said, I went home and said, my wife said, honey, says, we just, what do they expect us to live on, air? And Dr. Connolly looked at her kind of funny, and he said, honey, it would be pretty hard to live without it. Sometimes the air is pretty valuable, isn't it? So, you know, and I know he knew what she was coming from. They hadn't been paid and, and they needed needed their their rent paid, their their needs met. But sometimes we don't realize how well off we are. I'm just thankful for a roof over my head, for food on the table, for clothes on my back. For a little bit of comfort and heat and warmth in the house when it's so cold, bitterly cold. And you know, if we'll learn to be thankful for those things, we won't, we'll be like the song that says, I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver, a little gold. But in that city, we have a mansion, no, over the hilltop. All right, let's go back to this. 
In verse 5 it says, He hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He felt as a city that was besieged. He hath builded against me, or a besieged city, compassed me with gall and travail. Look at verse 6. He has set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. Dark places. We don't want to be in dark places. I don't think we love the dark that much. And then, as they that be dead of old, separation. Death is separation. Separation is what it means. It means physical, spiritual, and finally eternal. Actually, when God said to Adam, In the day thou eatest thereof, thou surely shalt surely die. Literally, it says, Dying thou shalt die. Dying. Think of it now. Dying thou shalt die. It simply means that when he ate of that forbidden fruit, that he became spiritually dead. He did die. In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt die. And then he had the sentence of death. He was dying as well, physically. And if he were left in that condition, had not God in grace clothed him with coats of skins, and I believe that's typical of, of Adam's salvation. A lot of people don't. They say there's no evidence that Adam was saved. But I believe that coats of skins indicate to me that the Lord in grace was clothing him with salvation and that he was accepting that, that grace of God that provided for him. But be that as it may, had he remained in that condition, it would have been spiritual or it would have been eternal death, wouldn't it? So you have those three, three uh, thoughts of death. Spiritual death, spiritual death is separation from God. He was separated from God. Remember, he was hiding in the garden. And then physical death, dying thou shalt die. He had in him then and there the sentence of death. For by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death hath passed upon them all. All men for that all have sinned. Romans 5, I believe, verse 12. Okay. Now, had he remained in that condition, he would have finally ended up eternal in eternal death which is the second death, the Bible says, the lake of fire. So, look at this sixth verse again. He has set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. Now then, in verse uh, 7, He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. He has hedged me about. He has walled, he's walled me in. I'm completely enclosed. Look in Hosea chapter 2 verse 6. Hosea chapter 2 verse 6. God said concerning backsliding Israel in tithe here given. And it says in verse 6, Therefore, God says to, to His people, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns. God says, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths, and she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. It's like Israel had forsaken God, who was uh, considered uh, her first husband. She had forsaken the Lord. And seeking after false gods and seeking after pleasures elsewhere, backslidden and away from God, when she came to the end of a rope, she says, Then will I then shall 
uh, she's saying to me, God says she'll say, I will go and return. I'll come back to God. But look at this passage. You have Hosea chapter 2 verse 6. You need to be looking at it. You need to be looking at it. Hosea chapter 2 verse 6. Just a little further over than where we're studying. About, about this much in your Bible. About this much. Go about that much and you'll find it. Chapter 2 and verse 6. Uh, it says, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns. Okay, this hedge up thy way with thorns, that's affliction. Affliction. You know, a way may be found through the thorns, but not without pain and difficulty. Affliction. You ever tried to pick up pecans under a place where the pecans fell down and there's nothing but thorns around there? You have to worm your way through there, don't you? You get stuck on every hand. Maybe a lot of good pecans, but you can't get through those thorns to get them. That's rough. And then it says, and make a wall. Here's another title. And make a wall. That means difficulty. If there's a wall, it's difficult to make any progress. In verse, the last part of verse 6, that she shall not find her paths. That's perplexity. Perplexity. I want you to follow these. Affliction, difficulty, perplexity. Now then, the first part of verse 7. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. Failure. That's failure. Always seeking for something that we should not be. Follow after her lovers, and she shall not overtake them. And then the last part. And she shall seek them, but she'll not find them. That's disappointment. Not only failure, but disappointment. We never are satisfied when we seek away from God. Never are going to be satisfied, regardless of what you're seeking. Money, physical pleasures, whatever. If you're seeking away from God, you'll never be satisfied. It'll always end in disappointment. But if God is with you, He has, the Bible says that His right hand are pleasures for, in His presence is fullness of joy, and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Christian can be the happiest person in the world and the most satisfied person in the world if you seek with God's will in view. All right, let's get back to this. You have in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 7. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Look at verse 8. Also when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. It is thought that God is not listening. He shutteth out my prayer. Look at verse 9. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked, as if this were a permanent condition. He hath, look at this. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. Hewn stone was like if you would take hewn stone, you would build a permanent structure with hewn stone, everything in place. And it's as if God was making a permanent condition that He would be... uh, Hedged in, enclosed, and his paths, paths would be crooked. That he would be uh, set in that way. That it would never be changed. Well, that's a sad thing to have that. No wonder it's called the Lamentations of Jeremiah. Now then look at verse 10. It says, He was, in verse 10 and 11, let's read both of these together. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait, and as a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate, as if wild animals would tear him apart. Look at that. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait. Well, how many would want a bear lying in wait along the trail? Not very many. And he hath 
uh, notice. And as a lion in secret places. The lion crouching around ready to spring on you. And then verse 11, he had turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. You were caught as an animal. Pulled in pieces. Torn apart. He hath made me desolate. Now look at verse 12. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. God is seen as a hunter here. Pursuing an animal with bow and arrow. He has his mark set upon you. And he has his bow bent. And he's ready for the arrow to fire. Look at verse 13. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. Reins or penetrate into his very inmost being. In the Hebrew, reins means it's thought of as the seat of emotions. The very seat of our emotions. Heart and reins. It has to do with our inmost being. And so, he's saying here, He hath caused the arrows of His quiver to enter into my reins, into my inmost being. Verse 14, he says, I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. A derision. The people did not take Jeremiah seriously. He was a derision to all the people. Look in chapter 20, verse 7 of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 20, verse 7, the last part of the verse. He says, O Lord, Thou hast deceived me. He knew it was not God, but he had been in such a situation that uh, he was making a complaint, but it was the people that really was causing him the trouble. And I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. He said, Now mock me. By the way, if you're going to serve God, people will mock you once in a while. There will be people make fun of you. There will be folks that will not agree with you. There will be folks that will... Like Jeremiah, I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day long. They were singing in mockery all the day long against him. And just as later, they did not take Jesus seriously when he came on the scene. Remember the Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 11, He came unto His own... And his own received him not. Remember how the Jews mocked him? Remember how they turned against him? Look in verse 15 now. Verse 15. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. Bitterness. Look in uh, the book of Amos 5 verse 7. Let me give you this. Amos 5 verse 7. It says, Ye who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness... To pervert justice to the most bitter wrong. By the way, we've seen some of that today, haven't we? In this day and hour, we're seeing plenty of perversion of justice. By the way, we all live under the same laws and by the same rules. And there's been a lot of perversion of justice. And that's what this is talking about. Wormwood. Let me read that again. It's Amos 5, verse 7. You are ye who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. Leave off righteousness in the earth. All right, back. Hold your place in in Lamentations where we're studying. Look at verse 16. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. 
you know, covered with ashes or rolled me in the ashes, which be a, a humiliation. But he hath covered me, he uh, broken my teeth with gravel, stones. He was fed gravel and stones instead of bread. How would you like to need something to eat and need bread or meat or food and nothing but gravel and stones? And that's the way Jeremiah felt about his situation. In verse 17, And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forget prosperity, despaired of peace, and no longer prosperous in the way that he could remember it. I forget prosperity. Look at verse 18. And I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. His lasting hope. My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Do you know as long as there's hope, it seems like that you can endure almost anything. If there's hope to get through the situation. But if there's no hope, that's why the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that the Gentiles at that time were without hope and without God in the world. See, without God is without hope, isn't it? Verse uh, 19. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. He's not only saying remembering, he says remember. If you have a marginal reference, it says remember instead of remembering. Remember mine affliction and my misery. He wants God to remember. The wormwood, he's already spoken of wormwood. And now he says, and the gall. That is a poisonous herb. Verse 20. My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humble. And is humbled in me. He cannot escape the thought of the bitterness that he's just spoken of. Verse 21. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. He was clinging to the hope that God would give. And by the way, in the next two verses, he mentions of that hope. Of what it's based upon in verses 22 and 23. He says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Because his compassions... Fail not. You and I can truthfully say that too. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. If we had everything that was coming to us, we wouldn't even be here. Some people say, well, I want justice. I don't. I want mercy. If I got justice, I'd be in bad shape right now. And uh, you read the uh, 103rd Psalm and you get some more of this very same thing that we're talking about here, right here. It says in uh, Psalm 103, He hath not dealt with us according to our sins, nor uh, after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. He hath not done that. Now, verse uh, 23, He's speaking of His compassions and mercies. He says in verse 23, They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God is great in His faithfulness. He has a covenant Faithfulness toward His people. A covenant faithfulness. In verse 24, The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. He was claiming God, and He was clinging to the mercy of God. And that's what we all ought to do. The Lord is my portion. By the way, did you know, not only is the Lord my portion, or our portion, but we are His portion. The Bible says, 
that his people are his portion and Jacob is the lot of his inheritance back in the book of Deuteronomy. Now then, what, what we're saying here is that God not only means to us that he, he, it should not only be true that God is our portion and it means that, that we love him and he's all we need, but we happen to be so special that we're what God needs. Now, someone might say, well, I question that, preacher. Let's see, let's turn over the book of Ephesians. I think you'll find this in the New Testament, at least the implication of what I'm talking about. Look in the book of Ephesians, chapter chapter 1, verse 18. Look carefully now. It says, The eyes of your understanding being lightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, look at this last statement. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You know, we say that he is our inheritance, but this is his inheritance in the saints. Isn't that amazing? You know, we always dwell on the thought that we mean that uh, God means everything to us, but the Bible teaches that, that all things were created for him, they were created by him, and for him. Even you and I are for Him. Let me see if I can find another scripture. In Romans chapter 11, verse 36. It says, For of Him, listen, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Of Him means He's the source of all things. Through Him, He's the agency of all things. And to Him... He is the object of all things. Look in the book of Revelation. By the way, we won't get into that. We haven't started yet, but let me give you something. Book of Revelation, chapter uh, 4, verse 11. And this is a seen in glory around the throne of God and the 24 elders are bowing bowing down before His throne and casting their crowns before the throne, saying, verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive, now look, glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, look at this, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. For thy pleasure. You know, if you're a mechanic, carpenter, or whatever, you go out here in the shop and you build something. You build it for a particular use. Man is for God's use. We're to fill a purpose for God. Serve God. And, and He has a purpose for us. Say so you make a beautiful chest of drawers to put things in. Finish it real fine. You have a purpose for that. But also... You have a pleasure in that. You say, Mom, that's I, I like that. I, you feel like you've accomplished something. God has a pleasure in us. And if we can ever get it through our heads that we mean something to God as well as He means something to us, we'll see that there's a union that, that is very special. In the book of the Song of Solomon, there's two verses. One of them says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I'm my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. 
Then you go on down a few a chapter or two, and it says, My beloved is mine, and I am my beloved. It reverses the same thing. So this shows a twofold union between us and the Lord. First of all, I am my beloved's. Why am I why do I belong to the Lord? I'm my beloved's. Because he bought me and he paid for me. He says, You're not your own, you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I I'm my beloved's. I belong to God. But look, he belongs to you. The Bible says, As many as received him, he's ours by faith. So he's ours too, isn't he? We're not only his, but he is ours. He has claimed us by blood of redemption. We have claimed Him by faith in that redemptive blood. And if we can see the twofoldness of that and the, the both sides of that union, and by the way, that's a living union, it's a loving union, and it's a lasting union. It's an everlasting union. So that we're saved and we're saved for eternity. Golly, our time is gone. Let me give you a little more here. Just a little more. Where were we? Verse uh, 24. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. That's claiming God as your portion. Verse 25. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. I want to read in Isaiah 30, verse 18, quickly for this. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Listen carefully. It says, and therefore will the, will the Lord wait. Now notice the word wait. Therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are they that wait for him. Here you have wait in both ways. It says, therefore will the Lord wait. The last part of the verse says, blessed are they that wait for him. You see how it works both ways? Back in our lamentations. So what did it say in verse 26? It is good that a man should hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Patiently bear affliction or whatever it is. You know the psalmist said it was good. It's good for me that I have been afflicted. We don't like to think of it. In the psalmist 119th, Verse 71, it says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Uh, there are many more verses here on affliction. But if you'll uh, just go through them in this uh, 119th Psalm, you'll find that, that uh, God in faithfulness, he said in another place, hath afflicted me. Look at the word affliction in 119th Psalm, please. Just follow it down as many times as you find it, and you'll find that there's a a uh, consistent message of what good it brings to us, even though it may seem bad. That brings us to the book of Romans chapter 8, doesn't it? Verse 28. What does it say? All things. For we know that all things work together for good. Look. To them that love God, to them who are the called, according to His purpose. So you have two to thems in that verse. To them that love God, to them who are the called, according to His purpose. It's not just one-sided, even there. You know, I like the twofoldness of these things in the Bible. Alright, 
Look at, uh, we'll, we'll close in just a moment. I want to get verse 27 before we close. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. It is good for a man, this is submission to discipline. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. It is good that we all learn to be submissive to discipline. You know, I want, I want to close on this, but I'm not through with it yet. Listen, you fathers and mothers, you correct your kids along the way. 